Let us turn to, well, thank you. But I was looking forward to John coming. So, all right, turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Yes, we are finishing Exodus. We are coming to the end. Um, And yes, we have been in Exodus 32, 33, and 34 for a number of weeks, and we are finishing up chapter 34 today. So if you would, turn to chapter 34 in the book of Exodus and follow along with me as I read God's word. Starting in verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all of the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Every Easter, the same movies come on TV. And for the past 50 years, I've seen some or most of them, particularly Cecil Cecil B. DeMille's movie, The Ten Commandments. It is a typical Hollywood movie in its treatment of the Bible. In one scene, Miriam, Moses' wife, tells him, she looks at Moses and says, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. The problem is that that didn't happen in Exodus. It happens in the book of Ruth centuries later. No, 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 Cecil, read your Bible is my thought at that moment. Back in 1956, The Ten Commandments was a cutting edge movie with its graphics. But seeing it today, the special effects are extremely corny. They are cheesy. And the glow around Moses when he comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, which is the whole point of the movie, it looks like two kids in a tent at night with flashlights on their faces. Today's technology would make that scene amazing. But even today's technology cannot capture the glory of God seen on Moses' face here in this passage. When Moses returns from his second time with God, his experience of seeing God's glory has changed him. Moses has has met with God before. Moses has seen God's glory before. He saw God's glory in the burning bush. He saw God's glory on Mount Sinai the first time the Ten Commandments were given to him. Moses has seen God's glory in a pillar of fire and a cloud by day. He's seen God's glory in the parting of the Red Sea. He's seen God's glory in the plagues. He has seen God's glory again and again. But this is the first time after being with God 
and seeing God's glory, what we talked about last week, God's goodness and God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. After being in God's presence and seeing God's glory, he comes back with his face shining. God has shown Moses an extent of his glory Moses has never seen before. God's glory was so powerful and it was so beautiful and it was so holy that even Moses, who was favored by God, could not look directly at him. In in chapter 33, verse 23, the Lord that says, then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses was out on Mount Sinai and God said, I will show you my glory, but you cannot see my face because if you see my face, you will die. And so he shows Moses his back. Now think if Moses cannot look fully upon God's glory. And Moses is God's mediator. Moses is the man that has God's favor. If he cannot look upon God's glory, how can Israel possibly do so in view of all their sin? How could that possibly happen? And it's understandable here in this passage, they are afraid. Verse 30, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. What, what was the cause of their fear? It was God's holiness in his glory. It was God's justice in his glory. As we saw in 34, when God was describing his glory to Moses, he says he's passing before Moses and the Lord is saying, this is what my glory is. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but... But the Lord says, who will by no means clear the guilty. God, God makes it clear. I am forgiving. I am merciful. I am compassionate. I am abounding in steadfast love towards you. But I will not clear the guilty because I am holy and your sin is unholy. And so the people are afraid because they're, they're before them is is a representation of God's glory, God's holiness. And understandably, Israel would be fearful that they would die. No wonder they are afraid. But God's compassion is revealed again as Moses calls them to him and says, no, 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 come, come, let me tell you what God says. And here is this expression of God's grace and mercy. Moses tells them all that the Lord had commanded him. What had the Lord commanded him? The Lord had commanded him, again, the Ten Commandments, had given him these commandments and given him new tablets of stone. And Moses was again saying, look, the covenant with God remains. God has not abandoned you. And so as they gaze upon Moses' face, they, they are gazing also upon the grace of God. They, they see the grace of God. Now, anyone reading this story might well ask, what, what's the point of all this attention to Moses' face? I mean, great, it's shining. 
the commandments are given, things are restored. Um, well, Moses is the one who wrote this story. So uh, it's an it's a, it's a autobiography. And this story, he wants us to see the importance and of the implications behind his shining face. There are significant implications to Moses' shining face. Implications that have implications for us today. So these final verses in chapter 34 tell us two things. The first thing is they give us the reason for this story. We're going to see the reason for this story. And there are three of those. And then we're going to see the meaning of this story. And first, let's look at the reason for this story. Reason one why Moses' face is shining. It is a reflection of God's glory. And it is, it is a manifestation and an unmistakable sign that God is still present with his people. Remember earlier in, in, 30, in 32, verse, chapter 32, after Israel had fashioned the golden calf, after they had sinned greatly against the Lord, God said, I am done with this stiff-necked people. They disobey me again and again. I am done with them. I'm not done with my covenant because Moses, I'm going to go ahead and make a great nation out of you. I'm going to fulfill my covenant promises, my covenant plans in you, but I'm not going to do it with these people. And Israel loses it. They are, they are just, they're so discouraged because God won't go with them. And now God has graciously forgiven and graciously relented. And so this sign, this shining face is just an unmistakable sign that God is still present. God God has not abandoned Israel. This is the confirmation Israel needs. God's glory on Moses confirms that that God has forgiven them. It confirms his, his mercy upon them. God is is faithful. He's no longer angry. He is abounding in steadfast love. And it confirms that the calling that God placed upon the nation of Israel to to make God known is still in place. And we, we can face the same concerns when we struggle with sin. We can feel distant from God. We can even feel at times, has God abandoned us? Or will God even use us? Well, will God make me usable for his purposes? Or have I just blown it so badly that God is done with me? And this, this story and this moment of Moses' shining face makes it very clear, no, 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 God is not done. And God is forgiving and he is steadfast in his love. That's the, that's the first reason this story exists. But it also, it also confirms that sin is still a problem. Because Moses has to come before God in this moment to plead for Israel's forgiveness because God in his justice, sin must be punished. Sin must be atoned for. And Moses, as, you, as we read in this, this, this chapter 32, 33, 34, we see Moses is up on the mountain, Mount Sinai with God, and he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Why is he fasting? Well, Deuteronomy tells us, Deuteronomy 9.18 tells us that Moses fasted so that Israel would be forgiven of their sins. He is mediating and he is making atonement. And so it shows us that, that 
God is still with his people, but sin still must be atoned for. The second reason is God's glory on Moses' face authenticates that he is God's man, God's leader, God's mediator. Remember in, in chapter 32, the reason they made this golden calf, Moses had the first time been up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. He was being given for the first time the Ten Commandments. And so he'd been gone so long, Israel says to Aaron, his brother, say, listen, make us gods who will go before us. Because as for this Moses, the, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Where'd he go? He's gone. And so they dismiss Moses' leadership. Here, this event establishes Moses' leadership once again, but more powerfully than, than ever before. It, it, it establishes that Moses has God's favor because God's glory just rests upon him. And it shows that he can be in God's presence and not die. Now, you've got to think back through Exodus. Time and time again, God instructed Moses to instruct the people of Israel, do not go near the mountain. Do not go near Mount Sinai where my presence dwells. Why? If they go near, they will die. If they go near, they will die. But Moses can go up on the mountain and it establishes that he can be in God's presence and he will not die and he can atone for sin on their behalf and he can display God's glory in a manner they never can and never will be able to. That's the second reason. And then the third reason is God's glory on Moses' face gives us a hint of something better yet to come. It's a it's a foreshadow. It's this something in the, in the background of something better to come. Listen, Moses' glory was real. The glory on his face was real. But as we read, it is temporary. He had to keep meeting with God for that glory to be renewed. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 that God's glory on Moses' face soon faded. He, he only reflected God's glory for a while, but, but there's going to be a mediator. This story tells us there'll be a mediator who will come whose glory will never fade. Never fade. The, the mediator, although a man like Moses, is one without sin, who is perfectly holy, who is perfectly righteous, who is perfectly good, and his glory comes not from without being in the presence of God, but with, from within because he is God. And that person we know is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. These are the reasons why this story appears, why Moses put this story here. But, but what's the meaning behind it for us? You know, as we, you've been a Christian long enough, you, you learn how hard how hard we have to work in Bible study to discover the author's original intent, why he wrote what he wrote, who did he write it to, when he wrote it, what was his, his purpose behind it. And discovering the intended meaning of a, of a passage 
that's what helps us understand how to apply the passage to our lives. And throughout church history, there have been many individuals who have done this hard work, writing commentaries to help us explain the books of the Bible. And, And these are really, really smart people. They're, they're not PE majors like me. These are God. They, 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 I have a PE, but they have a PhD. These are, these are brilliant guys. But their work is not inspired. It's not inspired by God the way the biblical authors are inspired. So the first place we should always look when trying to interpret a passage is in the Bible. We go to the Bible, particularly we look to the New Testament to help us interpret the Old Testament. The best interpreters of the Old Testament are the New Testament writers who are inspired. Their their commentary is infallible. And the account the account of Moses is it's a riveting story. I mean how many how many times do you see glory shining on somebody's face? Anybody had that experience? I mean, the closest I ever came to that experience was on my wedding day when Marilyn walked in the room. I had not seen her until she walked in the room on her father's arm. And there was a glow about her that made my heart stop. I still get the same feeling today when I think about that moment. That's as close as it comes. And then we went on the honeymoon and the glory was over. (laughs) because I realized how selfish I was and Marilyn made sure I realized how selfish I was which was the right thing to do It, it it doesn't last it doesn't it doesn't last and this riveting story Moses meets with God God's glory is seen on Moses people are afraid it soon becomes a regular event Moses goes into the tent comes out glory and then he has to cover his face with a veil uh, God keeps meeting with Moses there's this shining face what does it all mean I mean other than wow that was pretty cool what what does it all mean what, why is this story here and to help us see the bigger picture Paul interprets this passage for us in Exodus in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. So I, instead of having to turn there, um, I, I'm going sh- to display it up on the screen in just a moment. His interpretation helps us to see more than just a moment in Israel's history, but the underlying theme and hope of the entire Bible. This, this, this moment in Israel's history in, in Exodus when, when Moses' face is shining, it, it points to thousand years later to something far more memorable and far more glorious and far more permanent. But (laughs) as I read 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18, I want to prepare you for that. Many years ago, my dad took our family. We were living here in Maryland, actually, and my dad took our family to Florida. 
and this was back in the in the 60s and, and and interstate 95 not all of it was done and so you had to go on 301 through small towns in in different parts of North Carolina and South Carolina and we were in a place called Sumter South Carolina and uh, my dad was we, we were trying to find direction somewhere and so my dad pulled into a gas station and uh, and he th- and this was back in the 60s when gas station attendants would come to your car and ask if they could fill up your car and so this guy did and um, my dad rolled down his window that's when you rolled windows down you didn't push buttons and and th- you could see that it's like he had this big lump in his mouth and I didn't know what it was because I was only about 11 or 10 at the time but he, he came to my dad and goes, what, what can I do for you and, and my dad says well I'm, I'm looking for directions to this and he goes well yeah I can give you direction you can go down here and just turn left and then we just go for about another five miles and you can turn right and you go and then and then and then you'll be there and my dad said, well, thank you. And he rolled up the window. And he looked at my mom and said, did you understand anything? She goes, not a word. It was, it was just, th- we could not understand. My dad could not understand. And when I'm about to read this passage, it can feel that way with Paul. Because Paul can be a bit repetitive. So look with me in, if we can, can we project that? Is it up there? Great. Paul writes this. Now he's, he's interpreting what we just read in Exodus. He says, now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Now, there's a lot of glory in that passage. And, and it's kind of like, what, what, is, what is Moses, uh, what is uh, Paul saying here? I, I'm not quite sure. After I read this passage, you're, you're probably wondering, why did I do that? What does this, some of you might not even think this passage is a bit confusing. What is the ministry of death? What is the ministry of condemnation? What does it mean that the glory on Moses' face faded? What, what's this about a, a veil over his heart? Let's, if we can read further. Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect God, the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." How many of you understand that that passage is about glory? <laughs> we, we, we get that. Is this passage really going to help us? Yes, it, it really does. First, we need a little background about this letter that Paul writes. The reason Moses covered his face in, in, the, in Exodus was, was not to prevent Israel from being afraid. We, they were afraid at first, but as you read on in, in 34, Moses keeps going into 
the, the tent of meeting with God and he continues to experience God's glory on his face and he comes out and he speaks to the people. He doesn't cover his face until after he speaks to Israel and gives the commands that the Lord is speaking. And then after he's done, he covers his face. And that you think, well, why does he, do, why does he cover his face afterward? That, I mean, what's, what's the point for that? Well, the reason he does that is to hide the fact that God's glory is fading from his face, which Paul tells us here. The glory faded because Moses, as God's mediator, was temporary. Moses was only in the position until he died. And you would have a succession of high priests throughout the ages who would never reflect God's glory like Moses, but, but that job of a mediator was a temporary one. And, and this fading glory upon Moses, it, it was there, it, it faded because it came from without. It didn't come from within. It came from without. And, and it also, it, it's there to point to someone in the future whose glory will never fade. In, in 3.7, and that, that's the NIV because it, it just, it, it's just a better read. Um, that's the NIV. Paul, Paul says in, in 3 verse 7, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with glory. Paul's saying, listen, the Ten Commandments, they were glorious. They were glorious. They, they were the essence of God's covenant with his people to say, I am always going to be your God and you will always be my people. And these, these are the commandments. These are the, the, the laws that I have given you to protect you, to keep you safe, to keep you near me. That's, that's what the commandments said. They were, they were glorious. But Israel rejects them by their sinful acts. Particularly the golden calf. And then as you look through Israel's history, it happens again and again. And, and this is why the, he says these words written on tablets of stone brought death because what the law did when the law was given, it immediately confirmed that we can't keep it. Think about it. The law comes. God speaks. In chapter 20, God speaks the Ten Commandments to Israel. They hear God's voice. He gives them these Ten Commandments. Then Moses goes up on the mountain to be with God, to have the, the commandments inscribed on the tablets of stone. And while he is gone, what is the first thing Israel does? They break the commandments. They make a golden calf. They worship another god. They make a graven image. They, they, are, they do everything wrong. And so what it proved, what these commandments proved, is that we are sinners. And that the, the, the penalty of sin is death. These, these laws revealed who we are and the judgment we are under. And this, this has been happening since the garden. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this disobedience has continued in humanity ever since, resulting in our separation from God, in our judgment, and in our death. 
That's what happened with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were glorious, and they were meant to be a means of grace to Israel. But because of the sin in human heart, it, it brought death. Paul Barnett, in his commentary, says this, Since Israel neither observed the laws God gave them, nor had any assurance of his forgiveness when they broke them, the commandments became not the source of life as originally intended, but a harsh letter which condemned them and destroyed their fellowship with God. The law reveals our true nature, my friends. We're, we're sinners who can never be good enough to earn God's forgiveness and God's favor and, and these men in Corinth, in this, in this letter here, what they were doing, these were Jewish missionaries who were telling the church of God that Moses was superior to Christ. And that the glory of Moses was superior to the glory of Christ. And so Paul says, absolutely not. Moses' glory fades, Paul says. It's temporary. Christ's glory, oh no, no, that, that never fades. And, and, and Paul is, is addressing this church saying, look, th these, these men are trying to tell you to try and earn your way to heaven by keeping the law. But that's a road to death. That's, that's a road not to go down, even because you can never perfectly obey. No one has ever perfectly obeyed except Christ. There's only one person who ever did that. And Moses' temporary glory, that fading glory is the very thing that points to a, a glory that will never fade. And, and that is why, that is why Paul talks about that here. And then he goes on to say, that Christ's glory is so superior, it's so greater, it, it's, it's because it's not a glory that comes from without. So Moses goes into a tent, and, and it's like a suntan. I mean, that's the best way to, you know, it's like, you know, you, you get a suntan, and then, and then you're at the beach for a week, and you look around and say, oh, wow, you were at the beach for a week. You look great. You look, you're all tan, you know, and except for those of you who sit on an umbrella the whole time with a book and, and just come back pasty. Um, a, you know, you come back with a suntan, but Give it a couple of weeks, and you look pretty pasty again. <laughs> you know, that's Moses' problem. He goes, he goes into God's presence. He comes out shining, but it starts to fade. And it doesn't take long, and he has to put a veil over his face. Christ, Christ's glory comes from within because he's God. He's the Lord. He's God the Son. He emptied himself of his glory, as we learn in Philippians 2. He emptied himself of his glory to come to earth to live as a, fully as a man so that he could bear our sin on the cross, so that he could be our mediator, so he could be an acceptable sacrifice on our behalf to pay the debt of our sin. And God does accept him, and God raises him from the dead and glorifies him and it is a glory that never fades. It's a glory that never stops. It always lasts. Because of Christ's death, because of his glory, brothers and sisters, we have hope 
No longer is God's glory contained to a special place called the tabernacle. No longer is his glory only on Moses. God's glory is now present and it's now permanent in Christ because Jesus' death on the cross changed everything. It changed it all. The cross is where the law was perfectly fulfilled in perfect obedience and perfect justice and perfect mercy. All in the death of Christ. Now this mediator named Jesus, unlike Moses, has a glory that is eternal. It has a glory that has no superior. It, he has a glory that is beyond anything we could compare. Now this has powerful implications for us because Christ's glory becomes our glory. That sounds counterintuitive to think, wait a minute, no, only God deserves glory. But, but that's not what the scriptures say. Look at, in verse 18 of, of chapter three in Corinthians, Paul writes this, and we all with unveiled face, and when he means unveiled, in other words, our hearts are not darkened. They're not veiled anymore to the gospel. The gospel, the light of the gospel has opened our eyes, opened our hearts, and our hearts are no longer veiled. We can see Christ. And so Paul says here, and we with all unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Now we can see the glory of God because Christ's death on the cross has paid for our sins and we are forgiven. He goes, now beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. God's glory rests on us. Now, for that to be true, Paul tells us just a little bit earlier in verse 16, 16 says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. We must turn to the Lord. If you're not a Christian, if you have not turned to the Lord, you'll know nothing of this glory. You, you will be under a ministry of death, not a ministry of life in the Spirit. And you will not know of this glory. Now what? What does this story in Exodus mean for Christians, for, for you and I? Because this, this, this story vividly points to the coming of Christ. It points to the glory of Christ that will be our glory. <laughs> this story reveals a truth about Christ that says the glory of God transforms us. Day to day, it transforms us. It transforms our image from, from one degree of glory to another. Listen, the Christian life is all about glory. That's what the Westminster Catechism says this, because it's all about first giving glory to God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Because our hearts are no longer veiled by darkness of sin, we can do this. We can glorify God and we can enjoy Him forever. forever. Paul says in 1 Timothy that God dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see and live. So we have this, this holy God who dwells in unapproachable light 
who no one can see, and, and if they saw him, they would die. And yet, we get to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, who is approachable, who is our intercessor, who is our friend and our brother and our shepherd and our Savior. Man's chief end is to glorify God. We, we live for that, to be those who, who glorify God. But we also need to see God's glory because it centers our lives on Christ. Listen, when everything around us in this world seeks to pull us away from, from Christ, we, we've got to be aggressive in keeping our eyes fixed on Him. When, when we behold all these shiny and cheap trinkets that this life offers, they can sometimes give us more delight than God's glory, than, than being with Christ. And our delight in Christ will fade like the glory on Moses' face. God, see, God's glory, brothers and sisters, God's glory is not just what we see, but it's what we experience of his goodness and mercy and forgiveness and power that transforms our life. It's a transformation that changes us from one degree of glory to another, as Paul writes here. And unlike Moses, unlike Moses, the glory that we now share with Christ, our glory will never fade. It will never fade because Christ in us will never fade. God displays his glory in us to exalt Christ, to magnify the worth of Christ, and to offer hope to a dying world. That's why God gives us his glory to glorify Christ and to offer hope to a dying world. God has promised that one day we will share fully in Christ's glory where, where nothing, no, no veil, no shadow will ever hide that glory. But until that day, we have a mission to display that glory. Displaying God's glory, it's not about something we do. God, displaying God's glory is not about something we do. It's about who we're with. That's, that is, that, that's the most important implication from this passage in Exodus 34. It's not about what we do. It's about who we're with. The glory seen on Moses' face was not because of anything he had done. It's because he had been with God. And, I mean, this happens every time he was in God's presence, and it's no different with us. When we spend time in God's presence, it will be noticeable. It will be seen. We will display his glory. And, and let me finish with this. The two best ways we can do this, the two best ways we can be with God one is to be with God in His Word, the Bible. This, this is where glory resides. 
you read these words and they, they magnify Christ. Hey, they glorify God. And as we read these words, as we, you know, I, Dave, Dave, Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God's word in us. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. God's word is where we want to invest our, our hearts and our lives. And the second way, the second way that we do this is to be with God's people, His church. Being with, with God's people is, is a unique gift that we have. where we care for one another and encourage one another and serve one another and correct one another and protect one another. <clears throat> these, th- these two things, God's word and God's people. So my question this morning is, what delights your heart? Because our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And if we are not enjoying God, I can tell you we won't be glorifying God. What delights your heart? Do you enjoy God? Paul Paul wants God's glory to delight your eyes. He wants you to be delighted because you're experiencing time with Christ. That's what he wants. David said this in Psalm 84. He says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Listen, we see God's glory among every person here because you're all created in the image of God. And you are being changed from one degree of glory to another. And that's why we gather together. And it's why we study God's word, because we see God's glory in his word. Listen, my friends, look what God is doing in us, in our church. He's transforming us. He's glorifying himself in us. And he is putting on full display his glory through us so that we might represent him to a world that needs God. Can we do that? Can we do that? That was like, you respond and I say, that's kind of like an amen moment, you know? Can we do that? Good, thank you. (laughs) You got to work at it. I realize, I realize this is, this is just a conservative crowd. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we live, we must live, we should live bring glory to God. And we spend time in His presence with His people and in His Word. We will do that. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You allow us to bring glory to You. Thank You that we can see Your glory in Your Word and we can see Your glory in one another. And Lord, we ask this morning, we ask that that You would manifest Your glory 
in us so that others might see and they might come to turn to you and no longer have a heart that is veiled to the glorious gospel. Lord, we ask that you would do that in Christ's name. Amen.